Hi, today is January 8th, 2023. I wrote that wrong in our notes. <laughs> January 2023, Smokey's Podcast 440. The intent was talked about to talk about uh, CES, which just completed with John Westfall, but I hardly found anything worth mm-hmm. talking about. So we'll also talk about other stuff. I did want to mention one thing. So one year ago today, on, on January 8th, 2022, when I was still working, um, we completed a huge project called MFAS, Mainframe as a Service. And for the, if any of my former co-workers are listening amongst our fives of listeners, uh, congratulations. It's been a year. It was a huge project, and uh, I hope you're still proud of it. All righty. Next thing I wanted to mention is instead of my usual um, um, Yeti Nano microphone, which I've been using for Gosh, I guess a year or two now to replace my Yeti Blue Ice, which I like a lot. But my my buddy Ryan Osawa had a conniption about me using it when he was on a podcast a few weeks ago. So I thought I'd try an even cheaper mic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Instead of a $100 Yeti Nano, and I think I got it on sale for like $80, I am using a $30 mic. It's called the VIM, no relation to Vim editor on uh, Linux. VIM VIP USB microphone designed for, uh, it's a condenser mic designed for podcasting and, you know, game streaming and stuff. I bought it way back in September of 2020 to use in my office, uh, my work office, because Mm -hmm. the headsets I had tried and various inexpensive Bluetooth solutions all had terrible, terrible microphones according to people on the other end for me. And so I bought this and the complaint stopped. So I just want to see what a $30 mic sounds like. Uh, and continued use for a podcast. So VIM, VIP, I, I, it's $30 on Amazon. I, that's pretty much what I paid for it because I didn't want to spend a lot of money. Uh, and there you go. I, I also want to notice, I got briefly excited. I, I just learned about this this product announced a year ago. Again, <laughs> we're supposed to talk about this year's CES, but not a lot of stuff excites me. Well, ago. I mean, most of the stuff that we're going to hear about at CES this year might be available by this time next year. I mean, that is really the frustration I have with CES is that more and more, you don't see a lot of conversion from what's shown off at CES to an actual product, even within the next year. Right. I realize that CES hardly ever was a, you know, fully baked product launching ground. It was usually a, this is what we're working on. Some of the cool prototypes we have, et cetera. But really it seems like, Nothing. It's almost like if it was showed off at CES, you will never see it. Exactly. You'll see something that's two generations away and is more focused and is more ready for an actual use scenario. But I kind of like the idea of some of the broader things that you see CES, but they'll never make it to market. Yeah, I think that if you're there in person and you know getting a live demo and being able to try stuff, it's sort of like when I used to go to Comdex, which had stuff that was mostly available which is the difference between comdex and ces ces is a sort of a proof of concept kind or not even proof of concept it's just conceptual um mm-hmm. it, it's probably more fun you know like oh wow you know and i hope i see this next year like you said or year after or sometime before i die um <laughs> you know something like that and some things never came out right because funding fell through or whatever uh, I suspect it's more fun in person, and that's why you see a lot of excited reviews about stuff we'll, nobody can actually buy, um, mm-hmm. or stuff that nobody can actually afford, well, very few people can actually afford, like the BMW car that can change colors, um, <laughs> which, you know, is cool, admittedly. Um, I would be afraid of somebody stealing it, and even more afraid of 
not recognizing my own car after I park it because I decided to change the colors while I was driving. Uh, but anyhow, so but before we get there, a couple of things I did want to note uh, and discuss with John to get his thoughts is thing number one. You know, I, I as I mentioned a few minutes ago, I I got excited when I saw Lamy is a well-known brand uh, of maker of pens. You know, various mm -hmm. writing instruments, L A M Y. Uh, if you're a fan of pens, and I, I'm not a, I'm not a connoisseur, but uh, there was a time when I was looking at a lot of different pens and things years and years and years ago. And so I said, oh, Lamy, that's a good brand. You know, let me go take a look at that. And then I saw something called the Lamy Safari Smart Pen, um, and thought, oh wow, that you know they finally figured out how to do a digital pen with regular paper. But no, 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 it, no, no. So it, it, this was released a year no. ago, I think, in 2022. It's basically a reinvention of something that I bought in like 2008, the yep. Pulse LiveScribe Smart Pen. You need special paper. You need a $200 pen. It's like, um, and, and and by the way, in 2008, 2009, pre pre iPad, I thought the Pulse LiveScribe um, mm -hmm. pen was just fantastic. I used it a lot. I bought several mm -hmm. notebooks. Um, I, I can't yep. find a pen, but I just threw away the box that it came in the other day. Uh, you know, like 13 years or 14 years later. But And in 2008, 2009, it was great. In 2022 or 2023, uh, not so sure. <laughs> you know, I think it's well, called the end I, code. <laughs> I agree. I watched a bit of the review that you had linked, and I'm looking at the product page now. So... I had the exact same experience with the live live scribe pens. I had a couple of them and I enjoyed using them, but once I could start taking notes on a tablet with a stylus, yeah. Then my use scenario was basically I don't need paper anymore. I don't I'm not a lover of paper and uh, today when I use paper, I don't need it to be permanent in a sense. I mean, my most commonly used paper on a regular basis are sticky notes uh, <laughs> because I'm just writing for something that I need for the next hour or the next, you know, later that day, I'm just going to shove it in my pocket and then I'm going to use it and then I'm going to throw it out. Uh, that's really how I use paper anymore. So I looked at the review and, you know, one of the things the live scribe had that I don't think the Lamy even has was at least the live scribe had a bunch of different types of paper. You could yeah. get, uh, flip up notebooks and you yes, could get that's spiral right. bound and you could get perfect bound. And uh, this looks like it's just a perfect bound, more like a moleskin type design, yeah. which is nice. But one of the things that actually made the live scribe useful is they actually had sticky notes and they had, uh, yeah, well, they still do. I think I they're that. still around. I uh, bought little I, pocket I, notebooks of the, with of the live scribe paper too. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, live scribe is still around. Uh, you can still go buy their products. I just agree with the reviewer that you posted. It's like, I just don't know when I would use these things. But yeah. looking at their website, they still have all those different types of papers that you can get. They have flip notebooks. In fact, the only notebook I do not see them have is the uh, the perfect bound uh, live or notebook that resembles that we all got. They, they yeah. might have gotten rid of that one. Because uh, <laughs> it was too expensive. But, yeah. Uh, and their pens are cheaper than Lamy's. Their Echo yeah. 2 is 19 They have one that's called the Symphony, which I don't know what it really uh, gives for you, but it's seventy nine ninety five. So, uh, 
I don't know. I think you're I think you're on point with this that just it's hard to find a use scenario. And the reviewer that we that we looked at also said the same thing. He had yeah. no use scenario yeah. for it. Now his partner apparently, um for her, she did see a, he did see a use scenario for her because uh, it's, I guess people in her whatever line of business that she's in, it's normal to carry a paper notebook in with a pen to take notes during a meeting, but maybe frowned upon to type. <laughs> I ran into that about 30 years ago, but nobody has complained to me in recent years about typing during a meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, I have complained to other people about, aren't you taking notes during a meeting? <laughs> That's the extent of my, well, my complaint. The irony is in those settings where it's still it's kind of frowned upon to have an electronic device that you're taking notes on. Yeah. It's also those settings that tend to be more discreet settings, you know, things like legal meetings and, you know, more you know high end professional things where, you know, technology just seems not as personable or as appropriate. But yet at the same time, both the live scribe and the Lamy pen record audio which yes. generally in those meetings they're not always thrilled <laughs> that you're recording audio without everyone knowing and being okay with that and they also both use cloud services that would upload the content of the notes and the audio to a third-party service that you might not know the security behind so right. i it's sort of one of those things where if you're not comfortable with me coming in with my ipad that I might just be using local storage on that is encrypted when it rests uh, and, you know, protected with a passcode. Fine, have this pen that takes audio all the time <laughs> and uploads it to a dubious source and you won't know where it's going, but yeah. you'll find it more comforting because it's a pen and not a tablet. Right. And in fact, you know, one of the great things about a live scribe, one of the great selling points was not just that it digitized my writing on its, you know, special paper, but as you... As you recorded, and I always ask people's permission to record a meeting before doing so. Um, you know, I, uh, I I I always I always ask permission, and I knew that um, I could. It was synchronizing my writing and my speaking, so I could go back through the audio and scrub through it, or I could go through the written and tap on a written part of the page, and I could hear what was right, what was said, in case I didn't complete uh writing everything down um mm-hmm. so you know that was great i don't i think this may do that too because as you said it does record audio but any rate i got really excited because i thought finally a pen that actually regular paper but no that that is apparently really 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 hard um yeah because nobody's done that I, I would do that I, I would try that out if they had yeah. a pen that didn't require special paper yeah but uh um, i don't know i don't really know why that is hard yeah because you would think a camera would be able to tell when you went off the edge of a page, but, or that you would have some easy ability, like every, you know, do a calibration where at the beginning of each writing session, you tap the four corners of the page or something like that. You would think that would allow it to work, but apparently not. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I, I think my, my guess is, and I'm just guessing because I haven't really thought about this in a long I used to do, I, one of my areas of interest in the ancient days was AI vision. My suspicion is that it is just too difficult computationally to do it on a pen. Mm. And you'd really need to hook it up to a you know, pretty big system or to the cloud continuously to do proper recognition. I think it's sort of like 
Remember when speech recognition was really, really hard, or speech to text was really, really hard? Yep. And we saw those demos where they were worked, but at the MVP summits, where they were hooked up to large backend systems, and they still just really went off the, you know, mm-hmm. off the uh, off the map of of possible things that the person actually said, and we, we were looking at ridiculous kinds of uh, speech to text translations. But anyway. Any rate, I'm glad to see that people are still working on this. Um, you know, hopefully in my lifetime, I will be able to have a pen that can write on regular paper and record what I'm doing. I, I still think that's kind of a neat thing, personally. Um, mm. So, looking forward to that. Okay, now another thing from the past that bit bit um, our local government, uh, our local city and county of Honolulu. Last week, John and I talked about Verizon turning off their 3G networks. Verizon mm-hmm. is the last of the major U.S. carriers to have turned off their 3G. Sprint, I'm sorry, T-Mobile, which bought Sprint. T-Mobile and AT&T turned off theirs uh, a little while back. Well, it turns out that our parking meters in Honolulu <laughs> used a 3G Verizon network. And uh, the city and county was apparently caught unawares. They apparently don't listen to our podcast because we've been talking about this for like years. And now all the parking meters in in downtown Honolulu and Waikiki that are card only, you know, no coins, um, mm-hmm. don't work. <laughs> so, so they said it's going to be uh, parking at those meters are going to be free for six to nine months until they can replace the meter. Probably can't just upgrade it; that'd be too easy. Um, and as I was mentioning to another friend of ours, the problem isn't the technology in terms of fixing this right now. The problem is procurement. It's just going to be really hard mm-hmm. to procure this, even under an emergency situation like this one. Of course, it's totally avoidable if they had just, you know, kept up with our podcast. Yeah, uh, if someone had thought about, you know, and, and I kind of wonder, whenever you hear a story like this, I wonder who, how many of these we were saved from. Yeah. Because it does seem like this is a five o'clock on Friday sort of thing where someone yeah. goes, wait a minute, we can't shut that down next week. We need that. And then there's this release of, oh, you know, the 3G network's going to be available for another six months. And nobody really knows why or cares why. It's just uh, whatever. And then, you know, I just wonder how many times it is dis- dis- discovered before something like this happens. I remember just a few years ago, this is not, you're going to think that I'm talking about ancient times, but this is probably about three, four years ago. I saw a, um, I saw a proposal for a technology purchase uh, at the state, and um, which I was reviewing. And it said, this system required Microsoft Silverlight. <laughs> <laughs> now, Silverlight at the time was still actually active. So it might be, might be more yeah. than three or four years ago. But it was it was scheduled to die like last year, I think, you know. Yeah. And so I said, no, um, this is not even a discussion. You just go back to drawing board because this is going to happen. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one case, and that would have been a disaster had they actually bought that, but because um, it would have affected a bunch of people. Uh, speaking of affecting a bunch of people, you know, again, going back to our, you know, our our shutdown of various kinds of uh, services. Uh, one that I caught me off guard because I, ha- I hadn't thought about it is that AT&T uh, is turning off their 411 directory service for their digital landline customers. So these are the people who subscribe to 
something that uh, used to be called UVerse and is now apparently called AT&T Phone. This is not AT&T like their iPhone stuff. They're you know their LTE, 5G stuff. This is their landline service, their legacy landline service. People who are on digital landline service, so not the old school analog. I, I assume still has 411. But if you have a digital landline service, AT&T, as of well, a week ago, January 1, New Year's Day, you do not have 411. I don't think that's much of a problem for those particular subscribers, because if you have UVerse, which is you know basically an IP-based phone system, you probably have internet too at the same time. Mm -hmm. So presumably they can just search the web. And there, there's something called 411.com for people who you know really want to do a 411. But just another thing that's being turned off as we you know as we modernize and it's uh, it's really kind of a shame you know like a lot of songs that refer to operators will now make no make sense, not make any sense <laughs> to future generations. <laughs> Why are they talking to human being to get information? Yeah, um, we used to do that so often, talk to human beings for information, and now we try to avoid it as much as possible. It seems. Yeah, and in fact, I was gonna. I I'd like to ask you this. So, in you know, being an old person, uh, I I I I found, for example, that uh, in grad school in the ancient days, decades and decades ago, uh, you could get a do a computer library search in for SciTech and various other things. It cost you fifteen to thirty-five dollars, and um, this is back when my entire monthly apartment bill is one hundred sixty. So that was that was a lot of money for a poor you know poor little grad student. Do you still have science and technology reference librarians who can help you find uh, yeah. stuff? Yeah, we do. Uh, they don't cost us much money. Uh, so if uh, – and actually, it's funny. We've had them, and my students rarely remember to use them. Oh. But we have reference librarians that you can go ask questions. They will help you find things. Uh, we have interlibrary loan services, and our interlibrary loan woman is typically able to get things – you know, it's advertised that might take a week. It usually takes more like three hours. That was wow. the last thing I had her get for me was a article from a newspaper published in 1981. I think it was something from the Los Angeles Times on a random day in 1981. She had it to me in three hours. Wow. So, yeah, we still have all those people that you can go talk to. But again, people smart don't people. think to use them. Yeah, we have smart <laughs> people that you can go talk to. And <laughs> not just random people. Well, that's good yeah. to know. Um, you know, sometimes you just need to talk to somebody who knows more than you about how to search for stuff, mm -hmm. uh, especially specialty knowledge. But any case, so that that's uh, another service is dying. Um, if, so I don't think we have UVerse in Hawaii. So I don't think anybody in Hawaii is affected by it. But your neck of woods might have it, since you mm -hmm. are in the former Bell South territory, which is AT and T. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so you, your, your neck of the woods might have a few people. Okay, um, now, CES. Boy, I tell you, you know, I spent, I spent quite a bit of time as I was cleaning around the house, you know, just having YouTube videos about CES play, and there was hardly anything that interested me. The two that interested me are vaporware. <laughs> so, and it's, it's probably good because I probably can't afford them. Uh, the first one, which I find very interesting, I should say, you know, and it's by a very reputable company, Withings, or Wythings. Do you know how to pronounce it? Is it Withings or Wythings? Not sure. I know originally it was supposed to be Wi-Fi was the shortened ah, thing they were going for, things. so it would Got be Wythings, but I okay. think most people say Withings. Okay. So, 
So that makes sense because uh, uh, their stuff is Wi-Fi enabled. So it's called the Withings, um, a Withings U Scan, uh, letter U hyphen scan. And what it does is it it has apparently a couple of different cartridges you can attach that um, measures or not measure analyzes the contents of your urine for nutrition and all kinds of other stuff uh, depending on the cartridge that you use at the time. You know, it's just, it's just, I, I just find it fascinating. You can actually do that. So you stick it in the toilet like a, like an air freshener, I guess. And you got to sit down to use it. You know, it, well, I guess males, you got to sit down to use it, females by default. And it can, by, by thermal, by temperature, it detects whether or not water is flowing over it or, or urine. And then it analyzes it. I assume it sends it to cloud. So again, the security issue or concerns. Uh, and, the, and then it sends the results to your Wi-Fi enabled, you know, computer, computing device, phone or tablet mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, I don't think I saw the price. I think it was a couple hundred dollars. Uh, I'm not sure what the cartridges cost. I assume you have to replace those. That's Which is really smart from why things, right? To have a, a recurring cost for a consumable, which is something they don't have now. Their, their devices tend to be you know, sold once and done. So this is a good uh, revenue stream for them. I, I, again, I find it fascinating. At first I thought it'd be silly, but the more I thought about it, the more I watched the review from various people, by various people, I thought, yeah, this is actually very cool. And, you know, I was even wondering if they could do some of the pre-wastewater analysis on yourself um, to, you know, to see if you have like COVID or any mm -hmm. other virus that people are measuring for in wastewater these days. I don't know, John. Would you buy it? I, I, I uh, consider it. I find it interesting. I like the idea that it exists. I would be very concerned about the security of the yep. data. Yep. Just Absolutely. because you're getting a lot more interest. You know, one commenter uh, on Yahoo, uh, because that's where all the good commenters are, joked about how, you know, you would use this. And then th a few months later, your health insurance premiums would magically double. I mean, how would that happen? <laughs> yeah. you know? yep. So yep. Yep. Um, that is a concern. But it's interesting tech. Uh, interesting that it exists out there. All right. I, I should note, by the way, as we continue on, that uh, when, when I started the show notes for John and me for this podcast, I had three categories of CES announcements. One was vaporware. The other was available this calendar year. And the other one is that it's uh, available and affordable. And um, I only have one category, vaporware. <laughs> yeah. So... Again, you know, CES, right? So the only other thing I thought was really interesting, um, but I, and it might even be available, not sure, is the Samsung Samsung Flex Hybrid Tablet, which has well, it's just sort of amazing. We'll put a I'll put a CNET link on there. Uh, it's probably going to be like thousands of dollars, way out of you know my price range. But what did you what did you think, John? I thought it was kind of, although I do have one one issue with it is that it has screens i think this is the one that has screens on both sides um yeah and so i don't know how you protect it exactly but it's it's really kind of neat you know it's um yeah it has a screen that folds and slides to change its size folds and closes like a notebook opens up to reveal a tablet size display with adjustable screen the screen can be 10.5 to 12.4 inches um I, I I don't see a projected price, but it's it's kind of cool. What did you think? Um, uh, I think 
uh, Samsung and all manufacturers in general need to start making foldable screens that don't seem to crack after a number of uses, because mm. that still seems to be a large complaint I hear about foldable screens, is that, yeah, they're great, and they get longer and longer lifespans every generation, but it seems almost like it's an inevitability that eventually they will crack. So if they can create one that that inevitability goes out five, ten years, then I'd be great with that. But I'm still I like the idea of it. I don't think the execution's there yet. Yeah, I think conceptually it's really cool. It's sort of like the Z Fold that uh, our, our buddy yep. uh, uh, our buddy Jack Cook bought recently, which I also think is very cool and it's actually available. But uh, I would. I would not buy one because, like I said, it's going to be. I'm, I'm expecting the price to be over two thousand dollars, and I, and even if, even if it's only over fifteen hundred, uh, because it probably won't last very long. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I would want to buy that. You know, that's that said. By the way, I should note one of the things I'm going to be commenting on, you know, like a blog or something soon, is is our Chromebooks, which I love using, and I use one every day, but they are not durable. Not a single one of them. Even mm-hmm. the I haven't bought a high end, which might be built better. But I've bought mid ranges, you know, you know, five hundred, six hundred dollar range, and none of them really last beyond a year or two, um, in terms of you know something going wrong. One has a keyboard that no longer works. One is flickering. Uh, one has a screen that's been deformed because a hinge broke. Uh, mm-hmm. And you know these are all. Yeah, maybe a couple years old, right? Not even, f- maybe the oldest one is four years old. Whereas, you know, my 10-year-old MacBook is still rock solid. Can't upgrade it, but it's still <laughs> it's still rock solid. Screen looks great, keyboard looks great, that kind of stuff. Um, all right. So that was it. That's all I saw that was interesting. If you see anything interesting, John? I, I did not. I did see, and I put it in the notes, uh, uh, there's some new rumors about Apple's VR AR headsets. Uh, for the last month or so, the rumor mill has been amping up on that. Mm. So it wasn't officially announced at CES. Apple doesn't do CES, but they uh, apparently the rumors are now stating a couple of interesting things. One that their the battery would not be on board of the headset; that mm. it would actually be on your like the pack that you would clip to your waist. Hmm. So that'd be one way to reduce the weight of the headset, make it something a little less crazy looking and more attractive looking. Uh, That a version of the digital crown would be used in order to make selections or things like that in the uh, device. And of course, that the device would be mixed reality. It would be both a VR and an AR headset. So full virtual reality or augmented reality. And I've thought a lot about this in terms of what I wanted. Oh, there was another rumor that uh, Apple would release uh, the ability to get prescription lenses that would click into place inside the headset, which I thought would be really cool for someone like me that wears contacts part part of the time and Mm. wears glasses the other half. I could pop them in and out and still use the same headset. That would be very, very helpful. So... Then I came down to what would I use a VR AR headset for? I've not been a huge fan of VR. I've not had a VR experience mm-hmm. yet that I think is compelling enough to buy a headset. I, I've played around with a few friends' VR headsets over the years, and I can sort of see what they're interested in, but nothing has struck me. Really, the only thing I think would strike me is uh, if I could watch movies or get immersed in media through VR, but I realize that's a pretty 
boring use scenario for VR because uh, I'm not really interacting. I'm just passively taking it in. The uh, other thing I was thinking about is really a heads-up display during physical activity, biking, even driving. If, it, if you can use it as a – if it doesn't obstruct your peripheral vision, if you actually have full peripheral and you can get prescription lenses, it would be very nice to have my GPS directions while driving on heads-up versus having to look down at a screen. Um, and walking, I suppose, would be cool too, but that would look maybe stranger uh, but to have everything heads up there. But I can't, I still am, you know, at a loss. I don't think these things are going to be small enough and uh, unobtrusive enough where you could wear it to an event and not have people wonder what was wrong with you, which is where I really think the goal of AR would be is that when I walk into a meeting, for example, or a cocktail party or something like that, and someone comes up to me, a little, you know, message flashes on my screen that says, This is Joe Smith. They are. You know, this person and they work here and they've got, you know, this family and whatever information I know about Joe Smith so that I can actually talk to them without having to search my brain for that pesky information. And uh, I don't think we're there yet. Plus, the price is a point of contention. Uh, if it was under $2,000, I think I would buy it just to play with it. I think it would be a really cool foray into AR, VR, mixed reality. But the rumors are saying oh, it could be somewhere in the three to $4,000 range and really targeted at professionals or enthusiasts or people that have a need for the technology. Uh, that price, I could not justify it as just a fun thing to play with. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what I'm looking forward to. And the latest rumors is that we might see an announcement before uh, WWDC this year and uh, availability in late 2023. So that'd be cool, but I, I will remain very skeptical until something is actually announced. Yeah, if you want to take a look at something um, interesting now, uh, a friend of mine, and I'm going to call him out because I've been trying to convince him to come on the podcast to talk about him. Jared, if you're listening, I'm talking about you, buddy. Um, so my friend Jared bought a N-Real, N-R-E-A-L, Air AR glasses, for $379, so it's very affordable. It's available now. You can buy it through Amazon. I have not bought one, um, but he bought one. He seems to be really, really, really happy with them, you know, watching movies and so forth and so on. So, you know, they're there, and it is an AR, so, you know, you can see the world through them. Um, they don't look crazy. They're kind of like big, dark glasses, basically, and not even huge. The really the only thing that gives them away are the large, uh, what do you call them, side outsides of the frames that go over your ear they're a little bit thicker than normal mm. glasses but otherwise they look like normal dark glasses um and it says it's uh it mimics a 201 inch uh display if you're watching something so it's a pretty pretty big yeah anyway it looks interesting i i would consider trying it but uh as a retiree i'm going to try to save my nickels and dimes and maybe something later um <laughs> And Siri wants to talk to me for some reason. But no, Siri, I don't want to talk to you. Uh, very needy uh, assistant. Uh, so I would suggest go taking a look at that uh, as something interesting and I think reasonably affordable, at least not not a $1,000 kind of thing. All righty. Well, that brings to end this podcast, number 340. Unless you got something. Oh, John, I, I did want to mention something. I thought, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I know you're a fan of the Disney parks, uh, as am yes. I, although I haven't gone to one in a long time. 
And we were talking about, I think, Genie something. Does, I think that's coming to an end since you mentioned uh, it, I think. And... Not that I have seen. Genie. So there's Genie and then Genie Plus, which are uh. – Genie Plus is uh, ad-supported – or not ad-supported. Genie Plus is the pay version of Genie. Genie is just what they now are branding their app that gives you ideas about how to plan your day and things like that. Oh, okay. So, you know, Genie is basically if anyone went years ago, there was the My Disney. There is still the My Disney Experience app uh-huh. and the Walt Disney World app. Genie was just the new version of the Walt Disney World app in a okay. sense that let you would give you tips about, oh, it's a you know low weight at this place. Actually, it was Disney's way of pushing you places where they wanted you uh, <laughs> because it was never information that was brand you know <laughs> shocking it was more yeah. like oh really that low co- that low interest ride is open right now gee yeah. i can't imagine why you're telling me to go do that um <laughs> you know but uh yeah genie plus is the per day add-on that allows you to book uh lightning lanes and uh that's really all it allows you to do in addition uh you can tell it your priorities and it will tell you sort of what is available that sort of thing but yeah Okay, thanks for straightening me out on that. Not that I'm going anytime soon, but uh, I thought I read something about it changing. Alrighty, Mobile Views Podcast 440, Tadagasawara, the good Dr. John Westfall, and we will talk to you sometime again soon.